You're listening to Criterion Channel Surfing, a podcast dedicated to the films of the Criterion Collection streaming video service, the Criterion Channel. I'm your host, Josh Hornbeck. In each episode, my guests and I are going to be exploring the month's new releases and expiring titles, as well as offering our recommendations from the Criterion Channel's back catalog of streaming-only titles. John Lobinger, host of the Film Baby Film podcast, joins me today to talk about art house horror on the Criterion Channel. And a little later on, I'll be speaking to Matt Gasteyer of the Complete Podcast to discuss some tips and tricks for navigating the Criterion Channel. But first, I'll check in with friend of the show Michael Hutchins to talk more about Criterion's digital library as we start surfing the Criterion Channel. Stay with us. The 25th Frame, a listener-supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide. I'm here with Michael Hutchins, a frequent contributor to Criterion Now, The 25th Frame, and most of the Facebook groups that are dedicated to the Criterion Collection. I also like to think of him as the keeper of the Criterion spreadsheet, and uh, he has an astonishingly comprehensive knowledge of the Criterion Collection. He's joining me today to talk about the state of Criterion's digital library. Thanks for joining me today, Michael. Oh, thanks for having me, Josh. Great to be here. So how many titles right now are in Criterion's streaming permanent digital library? Just slightly over 1,600. Wow. Uh, that, that includes almost 1,500 from Janus. So, of course, that makes up the m- major bulk of their digital library. But then they have films that they've licensed from IFC and Sundance, which I also consider permanent because they've had them ever since all the way back to uh, Hulu. So I've kind of considered them as being part of the permanent ones, even though there's always always a possibility that IFC or Sundance may pull those titles. That's about about 35 films. And then we have those short films that, that have been licensed from various sources, and they open with the Criterion Channel logo, which I also consider permanent because they also include almost every short that was on Criterion's channel on Filmstruck. So I I think they probably have made a a long-term deal for those. Yeah, that's really, really exceptional that we have so much time to get to, especially those shorts. I think those shorts are things that we we forget about a lot of the time. Oh, yeah. You you can find something special in those shorts, you know. And I just love the fact that the Criterion Channel gives these either newer or more obscure filmmakers an opportunity to get a wider audience. Now, how many titles are only available on the Criterion Channel? About 369. Exactly. Wow. If you want to get you know down to, <laughs> down to the brass tacks, yeah. And Criterion has had three different digital homes, but I feel like we've lost a few with each move. How many are we still missing from Hulu and Filmstruck? Uh, there were eight films that never made it to Filmstruck from Hulu, and only one of those have now recently appeared, and that's uh, Ken Russell's Mahler. But the other seven have not appeared. And oddly, one of those is Days of Youth, the Ozu film. The other films, and some I I really, really miss, and I think people need to see them, especially uh, Agnes Varda's film, Jacques Denat, which is kind of a semi-biographical film about her husband, Jacques Demy. And the other two films are two Jacques Demy films, Parking and The Pied Piper. Going back to Filmstruck, there were also several films that was new to them, which have not been transferred over. And that includes two films by Usman Simban. I think it's pronounced Hala, X-A-L-A, Hala, and Guerawar. And then there's five films, which oddly was on Hulu and did not make it to the Criterion Channel. 
And that includes Kieslowski's The Scar yeah. and Ingmar Bergman's Crisis. It's interesting that this month we received our first one of those dangling filmstruck titles back on the Criterion Channel with Japanese Tragedy. That was one of them that finally made it back. There were a few, like over the last few months, that slowly trickled in, maybe one or two mm. a month. But I expect, you know, it could be any month now that we get almost all of these back. How often do we end up getting more digital-only titles added to the Criterion Channel, to the permanent library? Do we see that very often now? Well, it has slowed down, of course. You know, starting back in 2011, whenever the Hulu Criterion Channel was created, we had 160 of them. So that was just a gigantic amount in one year. Yeah. Over the last seven years, it slowed down quite a lot. In 2019, and on the new Criterion channel, there's only been new eight streaming-only films. So you can see how it's been decreasing each year. What are some of the ones that just came out this year? Ronald Neem's The Card, Mike Lee's Career Girls, Joseph Losey's Ava, Carol Zeman's The Fabulous Baron Munchausen, a documentary by George Stevens Jr. based on his father's footage that he shot during the war, George Stevens' D-Day to Berlin. And John Woo's Last Her Off of Chivalry, which was, I think, the first new film of the year. And then we have Palermo's Shooting, which is a Vim Vendors film. And the other was the Maisel's film, Umbrellas. It's neat to see that we're still getting these older titles added to the collection. It's just exciting that we have this wealth of really extraordinary cinema that we can dive into that's a part of that permanent collection. Totally agree. Michael, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a really fun conversation about Criterion's digital library. Where can people find you? I'm available in, as you say, most of the Criterion collection groups on Facebook. And I'm on Letterboxd, just under my name, Michael Hutchins. I have to recommend Michael's letterbox lists to everyone. We'll have links in the show notes. They are some of the most useful tools out there when you're trying to catalog and watch your way through the collection. Thank you, Josh. We'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as John Lobinger of Film Baby Film joins me to talk about October's new releases and expiring titles. Stay with us. Also available from the 25th frame, The Magic Lantern, Cinematic Memories Classic and Contemporary. The Magic Lantern is a film podcast hosted by Erica Long and Cole Rulane, devoted to sharing their enduring cinematic memories. Join them for an ongoing, informal discussion of the classic and contemporary films they love and the things they love about them. If you've been looking for a podcast to explore old and new favorites with fellow film lovers, you've come to the right place. New episodes every other Monday. Welcome back to more Criterion Channel Surfing. My guest today is John Lobinger of the Film Baby Film Podcast, another member of the 25th Frame Network. John, thank you so much for coming on the show today. This is so exciting to be on the premiere episode. I, I feel like you could have you could have picked so many other people better than me, but Josh, you know I love chatting with you, and this is very exciting to be on your new show, which as excited as I am to talk to you today, I think I'm even more excited to have this be a part of my regular podcasting rotation, so awesome. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I think we're going to have a lot of fun as we dive into the, the channel. Would you mind actually describing your podcast for listeners who maybe don't know Film Baby Film? Film Baby Film is an occasional podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm very fortunate that I've I've just recently getting into cinephilia. And so I am now just 
diving deep into learning as much as I can about film. And I enjoyed listening to podcasts so much, podcasts like Criterion Now and, you know, I don't know, Blake Slee's Criterion Reflections, Wrong Real Zebras in America, Cole and Erica's podcast. There's just so much good stuff out there that that accentuated the amount of enjoyment I've been getting from learning about film. And then I decided to take it to the next level and actually start doing my own podcast. And so I think I'm up to like, I don't know, 36 or 37 episodes. You've been on an episode, the 2018 year-end episode, and we touch on all sorts of different topics and we typically dive deep. And so, yeah, it's been really fun. The last couple episodes we did were Alexi German with Martin Kessler from Flixwise Canada and uh, Alexi German's Crystal Life of My Car and then spoke to Marcus Pinn from Zebras in America about the Gilroy Gyllenhaal collaborations, Nightcrawler and Velvet Buzzsaw. So everything from Bergman to the latest Marvel Comics movie. But the common thread is that we typically do like a lot of research and really get into it. So it's really fun. That's great. I would definitely encourage anyone to check out Film Baby Film. I think they'll get a lot out of the conversation. You've been in the midst of the New York Film Festival, is that right? That's correct, yeah. How has that been for you, your first New York Film Festival? Yeah, it's been really fun. I just saw Parasite last night. Oh, wow. And Bong Joon-ho was there for a Q&A, and I saw Francis Ford Coppola at the showing of his latest restoration of Cotton Club. It's just an embarrassment of riches. I'm just really lucky to be here. Nice. Well, we're going to dive into our conversation on the Criterion channel, and I just wanted to get from you just a general sense of what are your thoughts on the channel? How have you been enjoying it? How have you been using it? What do you think of the channel so far? I love the channel. I was surprisingly devastated when Filmstruck was canceled. I remember I had accidentally missed a professional certification exam. I got the days confused and that set my career back quite a bit. That was such an upsetting thing to have happen. And then I think it was the next day that they announced that Filmstruck was canceled. And this thing that was nowhere in comparison to the impact on my personal life somehow took on a much bigger meaning. I just was so devastated. It felt like companies were killing film love. I mean, it, it was it was that visceral. And so when it was announced that Criterion Channel was coming back, I was an immediate subscriber, and I'm looking forward to getting my Criterion Channel dog tag. I love the Criterion Channel, and I probably watch the Criterion Channel more than I watch even my own physical media or anything else. Yeah, I actually had a similar experience as you when Filmstruck was canceled. I'd been in a really bad car accident two days before the announcement. And then to wake up early and get ready to head off to work and see that Filmstruck had been canceled just felt like one more blow. That was a rough time for movie lovers. I am super excited that the Criterion Channel's come back. Let's get into the films that are expiring on the Criterion Channel this month. Every month we get a bunch of new titles and every month we lose a bunch of titles. First up, we have directed by Joanna Hogg, which has Unrelated, Archipelago, and Exhibition. What are your thoughts on Joanna Hogg? So I went to Sundance this year, and the souvenir was huge at Sundance. Yeah. And so that was really my introduction to Joanna Hogg. So when this bundle dropped, it actually coincided with the effort I did this summer to start exposing myself to more female directors. And so Joanna Hogg was definitely one of the first directors I sought out. I saw Souvenir and then I saw Unrelated. I really enjoyed Unrelated, but definitely the movie I like the most is Archipelago. That's probably my favorite movie that I saw that's expiring and the one that I would push people to watch. Yeah, that's a pretty special film. 
I heard about the souvenir and kept missing it when it was playing in really limited release in the Seattle area. So it was really a treat to get to watch all of her films. And I absolutely love her stuff. I fell completely into her rhythm and I'm eager to see the souvenir now. And I'm really excited to see what she does next. Next up, we have directed by Hong Sang-soo, which has The Day He Arrives on the Beach at Night Alone and Claire's Camera. This is another director that, for me, I hadn't really heard of until a few years ago. I just finished the the bundle yesterday, and I found these films so effortless and charming and heartbreaking and beautiful. What has been your experience with Hong Sang-soo? Yeah, same thing. So it was actually a trivia question yesterday. You know, those trivia questions they put up on yeah. the screen prior to actually watching the film. So there was a trivia question, which South Korean director has had the most movies <laughs> at the New York <laughs> Film Festival? And obviously anybody that knows South Korean directors knows that Hong Sang-soo makes two movies a year or what you know whatever his breakneck pace is. So I'd heard a lot about him, but this was my first time actually sitting down to watch any of his movies, and what a great surprise. As a recovered alcoholic, there's a part of me that especially enjoys movies that effectively depict drinking, whether it's in a negative light or a positive light or just in whatever light, and that's one of the things that pretty clearly Hong Sang-soo is an expert at in the movies that I watched. I really enjoyed these films. I think my favorite was The Day He Arrives, although I haven't seen On the Beach at Night Alone yet. These movies are very effortless. I could definitely picture myself watching a bunch of them. Next up, we have the two Josh and Benny Safdie films. The shorts are still available right now, but we're going to be losing The Pleasure of Being Robbed and Daddy Long Legs. What are your experiences so far with the Safdie brothers? So I saw Good Time in the theater, and that was one of my favorite movies of that yep. year. Yeah. And so I'm very excited for all the positive buzz coming out of their next film, Uncut Gems. I will say that I did watch one of these films. I watched The Pleasure of Being Robbed, and my sense is that instead of going and spending more time watching their early work, I think I'd rather just wait until Uncut Gems comes out or rewatch Good Time. Yeah, I can totally see that. I will say that I love Daddy Long Legs. That's one that, for for those who are interested in the Safdie Brothers, I'd recommend checking out. Next up, we have directed by Paolo and Vittorio Taviani. They have three films that are leaving the channel, Padre Padron, The Night of Shooting Stars, and Chaos. I haven't seen any of these ones yet. I've heard really great things about their work, and I'm really curious to check them out. John, what are some of the things that you've heard or are interested in about the Taviani Brothers? So I'm I'm in the same boat as you, haven't seen them. I love Italian film. I know that they won the Palme d'Or for Padre Padrone. So I'm definitely looking forward to watching one or more of these movies before they leave the channel. Next up, we're losing the Kelly Reichardt films, River of Grass, Wendy and Lucy, and Meek's Cutoff. What are your thoughts on Reichardt? So I described how I sort of discovered Joanna Hogg and Hong Sang-soo through watching some of these expiring movies. Yeah. But in a way, I'm almost more excited by the fact that I've rediscovered Kelly Reichardt. I'd seen certain women a few times getting prepared for another podcast, and it really didn't resonate with me. I knew that there were things I liked about her film style, and I knew there were things I liked about her story, but it just didn't work for me for some reason. And so I thought I was not a Kelly Reichardt fan. And then I watched Old Joy and Wendy and Lucy, and it made me realize that Kelly Reichardt very much speaks to me. I like her slow sort of minimalist style. I'm a fan of her, and I'm excited to watch her new movie, First Cow. This has been one of the great things about preparing for this episode was rediscovering Kelly Reichardt. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really discovered her last year during the Filmstruck Purge and was binging all of those films. And my wife and I watched Meek's Cutoff, and that was my first experience with hers. We both fell in love with her filmmaking sensibilities. Next up, we've got directed by Frank Borzaghi, Man's Castle and No Greater Glory. Do you know anything about Frank Borzaghi? I'm embarrassed to say the only thing I know about this director is that whenever I read the lists of the Oscar winners, he's always, <laughs> he pops up a bunch in the early winners, but I've never actually sat on any of his films or seen any, so I will probably rectify that by watching one of these that are expiring. They're short ones, too. I'm really eager to learn a little bit more about his filmmaking, too. Next up, we've got The Precode, Barbara Stanwyck. There are a lot of films in this, and this is the biggest bundle that's expiring at the end of this month. Are you excited for this? Is this going to give you the impetus to binge watch 11 Barbara Stanwyck films? So you don't really, <laughs> I don't really need much <laughs> impetus to watch Barbara Stanwyck. Her performance in The Lady Eve is, I think, my favorite performance of, of sexual love and desire and seduction that I've seen in film. I just love that movie and I love yeah. her in it. And so clearly I need to watch as much Barbara Stanwyck as I can. I definitely am going to want to watch a few of these, I think, Night Nurses or yeah, maybe Miracle yeah. Woman. That one looks really fascinating. I just started the pre-code Stanwyck set yesterday and watched Ladies of Leisure and absolutely loved it. It was a Frank Capra film. It's a little maudlin at times, but it works. And Barbara Stanwyck's performance is fantastic. So I'm really curious to especially watch her collaborations with Frank Capra. I'm going to probably be continuing to plow my way through the Stanwyck films next. It's nice because a lot of them, again, are at that 70-minute running time, which makes it a little easier to check out. The Colombian Noir, before that expired, a lot of people posted letterbox yeah. lists. If anybody is listening that's thinking about making a letterbox list, please make one of the pre-code Barbara Stanwyck movies so that I can know which ones to focus on. Next up, we've got a lot of physical Criterion releases that have been on the channel for a little bit that are getting ready to expire. The Third Man, Fallen Idol, True Stories, The Immigrants in the New Land, Time Bandits, and The Shooting. For me, I am mostly Criterion complete, so these are ones that I'm not necessarily going to prioritize. Do you use the channel to watch physical releases that you don't own? I would use them to watch physical release I don't own, but it is a lower priority because I own, I don't know, 400 DVDs and Blu-rays of Criterion. Yeah. I also have access to the New York Public Library, and so whatever gaps I have, I can fill in there. We even have used Blu-ray and DVD. We have a store here in New York that I can go and visit to get any of the OOP DVDs relatively cheaply. So nice. I don't ever feel the, the need to watch these first, knowing that there's all these other great films that might be harder for me to find find on the channel that are expiring. This will probably be the last thing I prioritize. And I think if I were to pick one, it would be The Fallen Idol. Because yeah. I've seen The Third Man, I've seen The Shooting, and the other ones I own. Yeah. We're going to be losing the Laserdisc port of Train Spotting. It was one of those films that for me came out in college, and I absolutely loved it. I recently rewatched it and found it hasn't aged quite as well as I was hoping it had. Yeah, you and I are a similar age range, and so this movie was released at a time where it definitely felt like it was fresh and it was a part of all those independent films that came out yeah. after Pulp Fiction. I haven't seen it in a long time, so it would be nice to catch it, particularly with the Laserdisc, whatever other supplements come along with that. Yeah, yeah. 
I'm going to run through the last little bit here. We have a lot of solo titles that were part of either double features or specialized bundles or their Saturday matinees. So we're going to be losing Xavier Dolan's I Killed My Mother, Manny and Lowe, Paul Schrader's American Gigolo, America, America, and the Triplets of Belleville. Have you seen most of these or are there any ones that you're really excited to catch before they go? I actually haven't seen any of these, and I am a Paul Schrader fan. Love First Reformed. Yeah. I also love his remake of Cat People. So American Gigolo is probably the one I need to see next, and I've been watching a lot of Richard Gere lately, so that would fit in. I'm also interested in seeing a Xavier Dolan film, so I killed my mother. I would love to catch that before it expires. I've been hearing really great things about America, America. I also have a soft spot for Triplets of Belleville. I saw that during one of my early Oscar runs years ago and absolutely love that film. I posted a survey over in the Criterion Channel Club Facebook group and just asked people what they were most interested in out of these expiring titles. The Barbara Stanwyck set, hands down, won. There was nothing else even close. But the one that surprised me was the next up was the Criterion in-print physical releases. So it sounds like there are a lot of people who are really interested in using the channel to catch up on the, the physical releases that they don't have. We're going to move on right now to talking about what's coming to the channel this month. The first bundle up is directed by Shirley Clark, which includes some of her fiction films, documentaries, and a lot of short films. This is probably one of the largest bundles on the site right now. John, do you have any experience with Shirley Clark? Is this someone that you're interested in exploring? I don't have any experience, and I'm just now becoming very interested in exploring her filmography and what they're posting on the channel. I moved to the Upper West Side. Shirley Clark is pretty famously a nice Jewish girl from the Upper West Side. But also, one of the videos they have in the collection, a little documentary about her, Shirley Clark, the artist behind the lens, that's actually a Filmstruck extra that they've Mm. ported over from Filmstruck. So I was so thrilled to see that logo pop up when I watched the video. And then learning more about the director, I had this really misconceived notion that she was just an avant-garde, short, animated, like that was her entire filmography, something probably closer to like a Bill Morrison rather than what she was, which is really just an artist who explored many different genres and different styles of filmmaking. So like the connection is clearly right up my alley and looks very exciting. And then the Oscar winning documentary about Robert Frost. There's so much there to explore. I'm really pleasantly surprised. And I think that this is going to be a big part of my next couple of months on the channel. Yeah. And I do think that it's really exciting. As you were talking about trying to intentionally seek out more female filmmakers, that's something that I've been really trying to be conscious of as well. And I love that the Criterion channel is very aware of that and is giving us some important filmmakers who who change things. And I'm excited to dive into more of the avant-garde work that she did, as well as the documentaries. My wife is really excited to check out the Robert Frost documentary as well. This just looks like an amazing set. We're going to also be getting a Laserdisc port of Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the original 1950s version. It's one that I have never seen, so I'm super excited to catch this. Have you seen this one yet? No, I've only seen the remake actually at a midnight showing over at the Coolidge Corner Movie Theater. And I really enjoy (laughs) the Donald Sutherland uh, starring remake out in San Francisco. I'm curious what it's going to be like to go backwards and see this for the first time. We're going to also be getting some Saturday matinees. 
So we were getting the Adventures of Prince Ahmed, an animation celebration, and the Blob. Have you seen any of these? Is there anything in here that sounds really interesting to you? Prince Ahmed was one of the movies I tried to race to watch in the waning hours of Filmstruck. Yeah. And I did not finish it, and so that's probably the one I'm going to revisit first. Yeah. That's a an outstanding bit of animation. It blew me away when I saw it. Next up, we have Val Luton Presents, which has a ton of really great horror films. We're getting Cat People, I Walked with a Zombie, The Ghost Ship, Seventh Victim, Leopard Man, Curse of the Cat People, Isle of the Dead, The Body Snatcher, not to be confused with Invasion of the Body Snatchers, <laughs> and Bedlam. This is going to be a lot of fun. I've seen, I think, four of the films here, and they're all really interesting in their own ways. Do you have any favorites from the set? So Val Luton's fascinating, right? Like he's one of those producers or just one of those people around Hollywood and Hollywood history where his personal story is almost as interesting or more interesting to me than his movies are. <laughs> it's wild, the roller coaster ride that he was on. And yeah, I've seen a bunch of these movies. I had seen Cat People, again, back in the Filmstruck days, and I'd also seen, I what is it, I Walked with a Zombie? Yeah, yeah. I'd seen that previously as well. And then now, since the collection went up on the Criterion channel, expanding my background in that, watching The Leopard Man, and I also watched, oh, The Seventh Victim. In comparison to, like, the Universal monster pictures from this time, he was more existential. It was almost, like, noirish in the way that his films were made and just brought, like, a different literary sensibility to it. It was almost like a forerunner for some of the art house horror that we're seeing now where, yes, it's horror, but there's a whole lot more going on, metaphor and, and all of that good stuff. So always great to expand my knowledge of one of the horror masters. Yeah, that's great. I really loved The Body Snatcher. I saw that during the waning days of Filmstruck as well, and it's very fun. Next up, we've got Three by Byron Haskin. He directed I Walk Alone, War of the Worlds, and Robinson Crusoe on Mars. I remember seeing Robinson Crusoe on Mars for the first time when I got the Blu-ray, and it's definitely a 50s, 60s sci-fi film, and it's a lot of fun. It's very goofy at times, but it's a lot of fun. Do you have any experience with any of these films? No, and really no films like these, right? And so these are going to be some films where once I see them, it's going to expand the types of films that I've seen. I mean, that's how different these movies are from what I typically watch. I don't know which I'll watch first, The War of the Worlds or uh, Robinson Crusoe on Mars, but I'm looking forward to watching both of them. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we've got Three by Jacques Tournay, Cat People Out of the Past, and Stars in My Crown. Have you seen any of these besides Cat People? Yes, I saw Out of the Past in the movie theater. And I know that people have such love for that movie. I do love film noir, but it didn't catch on with me as much as it does with other people. But that might be more my limitations than anything. I'm definitely excited to check out Stars of My Crown. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I've only seen Cat People, and so I think this is going to be interesting. I'm really curious about Out of the Past, since it's one of those noirs that has a lot of love, like you said. Thank you for tempering my expectations. Your disappointment with it will help me have maybe a little different expectation going in. Well, due to Night of the Hunter, there is extra expectation built in whenever you see a dark Robert Mitchum film. Yeah. It's hard not to get excited. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I still remember just the absolute thrill of watching Night of the Hunter for the first time. And then going to see Out of the Past afterwards, thinking I was going to get the same level of just blowing my mind. So yeah, so maybe maybe that was my mistake as well. But it is a much-loved noir, and so, you know, I should probably revisit it. Yeah, yeah. 
Next up, we've got a lot of Criterion editions coming to the channel. We're getting Detour, Judex, La Cienega, Following, The 39 Steps, and The Devil's Backbone. I own all of these, so I'm not necessarily chomping at the bit to catch these on the channel. For people that don't have the physical releases, they're going to get a chance to really dig into all the supplements. And so that's great. Do you have most of these yourself? So I either have most of these or I've seen them. The only one I haven't seen is Judex. I'll say La Cienaga is probably one of my top 10 favorite films and probably my favorite film directed by a female that I've ever seen. It's one of the great films yeah. of contemporary international cinema. It's a masterpiece and cannot be recommended highly enough. Yeah, yeah, that's a really outstanding film. We're going to be getting a whole bunch of films by Errol Morris. So we're going to be getting Gates of Heaven, Vernon, Florida, The Thin Blue Line, Brief History of Time, Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, The Fog of War, and Tabloid. A couple of these have been on the channel, Gates of Heaven, Thin Blue Line, and Brief History of Time. But Fast, Cheap, and Out of Control, Fog of War, and Tabloid are not available on the Criterion Collection. So you might want to check those out. Are you a fan of Errol Morris's documentary style? I've seen a few Errol Morris documentaries, but I can say that The Fog of War, um, that is a must-watch movie. Oh, it's fantastic. I'm actually of the mindset that Robert McNamara is a much more complicated figure than some other people think. And so to see this incredibly complicated figure who was involved with so many positive things and obviously so many negative things, the the lies that the U.S. government told during the Vietnam War, it's just fascinating to see a human being like that. Just to see him discuss it and even just to see him gloss over or the way that he evades or handles some of the things that he doesn't feel comfortable with in his life, it's a must-see movie. It's one of it's one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a real masterclass in interview. I personally love Errol Morris. I do think that he is one of those unique filmmakers who's able to really, really allow the subjects he interviews to hang themselves with their own words. Mm. Next up, we've got three by Hilo Pontecorvo, Capo, Battle of Algiers, and Burn. Uh, again, Capo and Battle of Algiers are currently on the channel and will probably remain on the channel after the set expires. But Burn is a film that was uh, on Laserdisc back in the day and has been really hard to see. Do you have much experience with Ponte Carvo? Yeah, I'm like everybody else. I saw the Battle of Algiers. It's on the sight and sound. I think it's in the top 50. And just as I was making my way down that list, it was actually one of the first movies I saw. It's an amazing and an effective film in and of itself, but as a document of history, as an artifact of history, it's also fascinating. An artifact of film history, it's fascinating. I think of the other two movies, I think I'm most excited to see Burn. Isn't that the one with Marlon Brando in it? Yeah, yeah, it is. I need to check this out as soon as possible. Yeah, I really like Ponte Carvo. I loved Battle of Algiers like you. I think it's one of those those masterpieces of cinema. And Capo I found incredibly fascinating. Uh, I saw Burn years ago, and I may try to revisit this one since this is a, a great opportunity to get to see a film that's not readily available. We've got some more horror coming up now. We've got Meet the Filmmakers with Herschel Gordon Lewis. <laughs> and we have a lot of Gordon Lewis's films here. I have not seen any Herschel Gordon Lewis films <laughs> at all. What am I in for, John? I actually haven't finished it yet, but I watched my first 2000 Maniacs, which is a Hicksploitation movie. <laughs> which I, I'd never heard that word before I Googled the movie after I started watching it. And it is so earnestly done. It's so badly done. It's so creatively and just so much glee and being offensive. 
it's just such a fascinating little movie. I think Herschel Gordon-Lewis did everything from directing and writing to composing to pointing the camera to... I think there's a bluegrass song in this in this movie that he wrote. You just get the sense that it's this guy and whoever he could get to come on set to make these schlocky <laughs> movies. I don't know. It's so weird and it's so bad, but it's also something I can clearly tell I'm I'm going to get a lot out of. It, it, the more that I watch, the more I'm going to get out of it. That's great. You know, I'm not a huge horror fan. I think this is going to push me to discover some films and a filmmaker that I probably wouldn't seek out on my own. There is just something about knowing that you're watching a movie that is filled with the joy of filmmaking and also like a gleeful mischievousness that just permeates the screen. I don't know. I, I'm probably waxing rhapsodic about something that doesn't need to be. <laughs> just the little dose that I've got so far, I'm excited to explore more. That's great. Next up, we're going to talk about some of the single titles that are getting released. We're getting Persepolis, the animated film based on the graphic novel. The Living Idol, Freaks, The Devils, Frida, The Old Dark House, Arsenic and Old Lace, and A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. John, I saw your note about The Devils. Is that the one that you're still championing as the best film to catch? Here's the hyperbole that I want to use right now. If a person is making a choice for movies that they haven't seen, and The Devils is on that choice of movies, whether it's streaming, honestly, or whether it's like a DVD or Blu-ray you have at your house that you haven't seen, the correct choice is to watch The Devils. It's difficult to find, it's controversial, and it also happens to be one of the best movies ever made. Ken Russell at his peak, Oliver Reed at his peak, Derek Jarman producing the set design, just some of the most beautiful, offensive, politically charged, it just absolutely amazing now that they're streaming it and you have the opportunity to watch it a movie that is so difficult for people to get their hands on you gotta jump at the opportunity you'll kick yourself if you don't yeah i saw this during the film struck days and was completely blown away by it it was a film that i didn't know what to expect and i definitely did not expect something as politically charged as moving and as a person of faith i actually found it really stirring as well this journey of a man who is maybe not the best example of of his faith but who ends up becoming a champion for his faith at the end as well it's a gorgeous film the colors pop i really want to see this get a blu-ray because i just think that this film would look gorgeous in high definition so I'm a lapsed person of faith, and I've always been fascinated by these characters, whether real life or in movies. John Donne, for me, is the ultimate, right? Like, here's a guy who wrote the foremost erotic poetry during his youth, and then when he got older, he also wrote the foremost religious and spiritual poetry in the English yep. language, perhaps. So that idea is just so primal to me, and I totally connect with that. And the fact that it's Oliver Reed, the handsomest man alive at his handsomest yep. point, the fact that it's him playing that character brings so much more that this person who is so filled with self, so filled with pleasure and hedonism, and in a way that's like really a celebration of life, the fact that that person is the person who ends up standing up and sacrificing himself for others, I think is just such a powerful message so powerful in yeah. the movie i love everything about it what we've talked about is just the tip of the iceberg yeah that's all i'm gonna say it's a masterpiece so yeah i definitely want to encourage people to check that one out 
I'm excited to catch things like A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. I missed it when it first came out. Very excited for that. And if you haven't seen Persepolis, I think that is an absolutely gorgeous work of animation that should not be missed. Seeing A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night three or four different times. I think it's so much fun. A great horror film to see. There's so much great female-directed horror out there. Yeah. This is a great example. And I haven't seen Persepolis, and I'm looking forward to it. We're also getting a number of shorts, Weekends, Bad at Dancing, and The Beaning. I have to admit that because the shorts tend to stay on the channel longer, I have been really bad at keeping up with short films, even though those are really fun to just kind of pop on for 15 or 20 minutes when I have just a little bit of time. But I did see Weekends during my Oscar run this last year, and it is an absolutely gorgeous work of animation that I cannot recommend highly enough. Have you seen any of these shorts, John? You and I are in exactly the same situation. I also enjoyed Weekends quite a bit when I was watching all my Oscar movies. And then we're getting some cool programming. We're getting another episode of Art House America, where they're going to be talking about the Loft Cinema in Tucson, Arizona, and more of the really fantastic series, Observations on Film Art. We're going to be getting a piece on an angel at my table and about the use of withholding and revealing. I always find the observations on film art really illuminating and just absolutely love these. Have you had a chance to check out many of the observations yet? So I always watch them after I watch the movie. And weirdly enough, my movies and the observations just really haven't synced up a lot of the time. Okay. I will say the observations on film art that they did on Fritz Lang's M changed the way that I looked at sound and film, changed the way that I looked at M. M is one of my favorite movies after watching that. It's pretty clear that I can learn a lot from watching as many of those as possible. Yeah. I want to give a shout out to the one on lighting in Wooden Crosses. That one, like you said, it changed the way I look at lighting. So let's get into the poll results. Again, I posted a poll over at the Criterion Channel Club group asking what films were people most excited about. John, can you take a guess as to what film people were most excited about? (laughs) You know, (laughs) I I don't think I'm a contrarian. I don't think I'm one of those people that if it's super popular, I hate it. And if everybody hates it, I want to support it. But I definitely have a part of me that's like that. But let's be (laughs) honest, the devils just bring so much to the table that whether you are a Scrooge or not, like you just have to give props where props are due. And Ken Russell's The Devils is, is one of the greats. And it doesn't always stream. It's not always easy to find. So whenever you get a chance, when it's on the Criterion channel in October of all months, you got to run to see it. Yeah. It wasn't quite the same blowout as the Barbara Stanwyck set was for films that are expiring, but it was definitely by far the most anticipated film. Val Luton was up next, followed by Freaks and Shirley Clark. Although most of the bundles and most of the films were given a little bit of love on that poll. So I think people are really excited about the film releases this month. Those are Criterion Channel's new and expiring titles for October. John and I are going to continue our conversation in just a moment as we dive into the Criterion Channel's back catalog and we start talking about art house horror. But first, I'm going to speak with our friend Matt Gasteyer of The Complete Podcast, and we're going to talk about some tips and tricks for using the channel. So stay with us. Also available from the 25th frame, Movies Silently, a podcast hosted by Fritzy Kramer. Silent cinema and its context, and quite possibly, the cat's pajamas. I'm here with Matt Gasteyer of The Complete Podcast, now in its third season. This time, they're exploring the filmography of Krzysztof Kislowski. He's also created a set of essential letterboxed lists for anyone who are just beginning their journey through the Criterion Collection. They're called How Do I Criterion? 
Matt, thanks for joining me on the show today. Thanks for having me. So the Criterion Channel interface is very different than the Filmstruck interface. What are your thoughts on the the differences and the ways in which we navigate the Criterion Channel now? The two big things that jump out at me, first of all, is the fact that you can now add full collections to your list. And it's a little clunky in the sense that now every single film has a collection page along with the actual film window. It's kind of like a good news, bad news scenario from the shift from Filmstruck. I'm really excited that I get to add a collection rather than just, you know, adding all of the films. And then the other thing is just the division between the channel and the main Filmstruck feed previously. At the very least, made it very apparent what was a permanent addition to the site versus something that could potentially leave. So it can be difficult to sort of say, okay, this is a movie that I don't need to prioritize because it's going to be there forever. You've already spoken to Michael Hutchins uh, on this episode. That's something you have to double check his letterbox list to make sure that it's something that's going to be there forever versus something that's leaving. So those are the two things that kind of jump out at me as the biggest differentiators in terms of user experience with Filmstruck versus the Criterion Channel. Have you found that adding the bundles, adding the collections to your list makes it easier to really dive into a director or dive into a theme? I definitely have. Personally, I enjoy working through a whole bundle, especially something like the Barbara Stanwyck pre-code, which I had seen about half of those already, but it was great to not have to pick through it and find all the individual ones. I could just add the whole thing to my list. I really enjoy that. It would be nice to be able to delete things that I've already watched within the collection bundle on my list. But beyond that, I mean, hopefully I remember what I've watched. It is a little frustrating to know, you know, you have to make sure when you're adding something to your list, if it's just a solitary film, I like being able to see how long the movie is. That only shows up if you add the movie to your list, not the collection. Sometimes I'll even add both the collection and the movie to my list because I'm browsing through and I forget that I've already added it. So that part of it is a little clunky, but I'd still rather have the option to be able to add those bundles and have a little bit of a confusing experience underneath that than to not be able to add them, especially because you can't click through from one movie to a bundle that it's included in, which I think is is a bit of a frustrating aspect of the website currently. Yeah, there is a, a simplicity to the the interface in some ways. It really is a very rudimentary yeah. host for all of the Criterion titles. You know, I would love for them to be able to improve this and get this a little more elegant throughout. But if this is what makes it financially viable for right. us to keep the Criterion channel, I am more than happy to work my way around these things. Well, and I think that it's always really important to remember that this is a very small company. They don't have a lot of employees. The fact that they were able to get this together is pretty amazing. Part of the reason why they were able to get it together so quickly is because it's built on software that was designed by other companies that did other things with it. And so they've been able to customize it to their liking, but to build an entire user interface from the ground up takes an enormous amount of time and money 
that is just not available to them. So they're doing inventive things to cut corners and get to what they want their system to look like. It's a lot harder than producing a disc. Yeah, yeah. How do you search for titles or directors, genres? How have you found your experience searching? And what are some workarounds that you might have found as you're attempting to just navigate the channel? Well, I think it's been made easier by the all films link that they've added here to the website. I almost never search on an app. I use the Fire TV app and the Apple TV app on two different TVs and then the iOS app, of course. But I very rarely add Add films to my list through that. I'll go on to my computer. I find it a lot easier to navigate. The all films link allows you to search for genre and director and country in a much smoother way. It's essentially a list that is filterable and sortable, which is something that you cannot do with the search function. And as somebody who likes to watch a director's work in chronological order, which is what I do on my podcast with my co-host Travis, I want to see what these movies are and I want to see them in chronological order. I want to see what the earliest one is. And the only way you can do that is either by going to the All Films tab or to Letterboxd. And and the addition of Just Watch within the last couple of weeks on Letterboxd, to me, really makes the service a must subscribe for any cinephile. The ability to be able to instantaneously look at the Sight and Sound 250 list or the list of every Criterion film that it's been released on Blu-ray and be able to see immediately where it's playing on customized set of services that I personally subscribe to is pretty invaluable and has been quite a game changer over the last month or so. The one positive I think is that you are able to search for extras and you can search within the description of a film. So if you are looking for something really specific, that's the place to go because you can find things that were otherwise on the Filmstruck app impossible to find. Yeah. And speaking of being able to search for supplements, one of the things that I really love about the interface is that we can now add supplements to our list. And so I have some supplements for you know, I've seen all the films or I own all the films on physical media, but there's a supplement that is unique to the Criterion channel. And I have those added to my list and I can watch a 10 minute interview or conversation. Yeah. And it is a really, really fantastic tool to add. One thing I'd really love for them to do, if somebody from the site is listening to this right now, You know, they have this great 10 minutes or less feature, and I've been known to just sort of stick that on when I'm doing work or waiting for my wife to get ready to watch a movie with me. It'd be great if you could customize that, you know, add to your list, have the bonus features or the shorter things, short films separated from the full length features and be able to just sort of press play on that and let it run. How do you use the list? Do you have this unwieldy list of everything you want to see? Are you focused mainly on expiring titles? How do you approach that? Well, I have a long-term goal of watching all of the permanent titles on the channel eventually. I've seen all of the films that they've released on Blu-ray and all the Eclipse titles, so this is sort of my next little mountain to climb. So if I added all of those films to my list, it would be... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> very uh, impossible to navigate. So I try to keep it really lean and mean, which is still a pretty hefty amount of things. I kind of stick at the bottom the directors that I'm working through. I'm currently working through Hanukkah and Kenoshida and Juzo Itami. So I have those next films in the order at the bottom of my list. And then I have a couple of odds and ends. But then I really try to keep it to bundles that have just come up that I uh, know that I want to work through and then the films that are expiring soon. If you try to add everything that you want to watch to your list, it just gets so overwhelming. One thing that I will suggest to people is if you want to rearrange your list in any way, move something up to the top of it, it's impossible to sort of drag and drop, which would be something that I would really love to have. But what you can do is if you remove something and then immediately add it back, so you just sort of double click the little icon in the top right hand corner and then refresh your list, it will pop to the top of your list. That's a really great tip. I hadn't thought about that. Thanks for joining me today, Matt. This was really helpful. I'm hoping that this gives listeners a few extra ways to navigate the channel that maybe they didn't think about before. Do you have any last thoughts on kind of this basic navigation that you want to share with people? I think that's good for now. I mean, I, I think like anything involving sort of how you decide what movie to watch, it's a very personal thing. Whatever gets you to the movies that you want to watch the fastest is the best way to do it in my book. Well, where can people find you? I'm on Letterboxd at Matthew E.G. My podcast is The Complete. Um, we're covering Kieślowski, as you mentioned, and just finishing up the Decalogue. I'll have the episode discussing episodes eight and nine coming up soon of the Decalogue. And you can find that show on the 25th frame and uh, on Twitter at The Complete Pod. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And we'll be right back with more Criterion Channel Surfing as John Lobinger and I talk about art house horror from the Criterion Collection's permanent digital library. Stay with us. Also available from the 25th frame, Good Times, Great Movies, hosted by Doug McCambridge and Jamie Lorello. A podcast about the best, but usually the worst, of 80s cinema. Every other Friday, Doug and Jamie discuss a film from the 1980s. Some are films they haven't seen since they were kids and offer a contemporary perspective. Others are films they've never seen before, but probably should have. Do they hold up? Are they classics? Or would these films just be better off having been lost to time? Welcome back to Criterion Channel Surfing. I'm here with John Lobinger, and we're getting ready to dive into the back catalog of Criterion's permanent streaming-only digital library. These films are, are often overlooked because the channel releases so much incredible content every month. So here on the podcast, we really want to try to pay special attention to the back catalog titles, the titles that you don't hear about very much. And hopefully we're going to give you a few titles to check out that you may have missed. It's October, so I thought that the best way to kick off the month would be to dive into some of the classic foreign art house horror films that are on the permanent streaming library of the Criterion Collection. You can follow along at home. I'll have a link in the show notes for a letterboxed list from Michael Hutchins, friend of the show. It has a list of all of the different streaming-only titles that you'll be able to find. So, John, why don't you tell me about the first film you picked today to talk about? Speaking of friends of the podcast, the next movie I'm going to talk about is a movie that I was introduced to by Matt Gasteyer. 
This is Cure by Kiyoshi Kurosawa from 1997. This is a movie that Bong Joon-ho picked as one of his 10 sight and sound (laughs) votes. So I think that tells you all you need to know about the movie. This is, for fans of J-Horror, this movie is more about tone and, you know, like palpable existential dread than it is about any jump scares or anything like that. Really, the fear that's instilled in the movie comes from people's relationships with others, people's relationship to society, and the sense that people don't necessarily have control over the things that they do. When I speak about tone, I think a lot of people have looked at this movie and said it's sort of the horror or the psycho-thriller equivalent of a Tarkovsky film. Mm. This is like just some of the best of what you can get when you watch Art House Horror. The other thing to point out is that it does star Koji Akusho, and so people that saw Koreeda's recent film, The Third Murder, are familiar with this actor. I know he's been in a lot of other movies as well. I think Mike also casts him a few times in some of his films. People who saw that movie, there's certainly some similarities in terms of tone, in terms of ambiguity between the two movies. Also, Criterion Connection, because he also is in Tampopo. Nice. I think he's the fancy-dressed gangster, and I should point out that there is absolutely no other connection <laughs> between between that movie and, and Cure. Definitely a lot of fun to check out. I highly recommend it. Fans of, I don't know, Seven, Silence of the Lambs, fans of J-Horror or some of the weird movies coming out of South Korea. This is definitely a, a movie that is perfect for October, perfect for getting the creeps when you're looking for a movie that can do that. This is very effective. Yeah, I really like what you say about tone and the way it creates that sense of dread. I saw it years ago and your description of it is making me eager to revisit it because it is definitely one of those films that just crawls under your skin. The plot and all the other stuff around it, they don't really matter at the end of the day. It's really about the mood and the feelings you get from it. Great choice. Yeah, I basically just did a discussion of the movie, I think, with barely mentioning any plot. And I was going to say a little bit about it, but I don't think I need to, and I don't think I should. I think the less you know about what actually happens in the movie, the better. Just know that, yeah, you're going to get a finely crafted tale that packs in a lot of tone. Yeah, yeah, that's great. My first selection is La Main du Diable. It was directed by Maurice Tournier, who is the father, actually, of Jacques Tournier. This was released in 1943. It was also known as Carnival of Sinners, and it's based loosely on a short story called The Enchanted Hand. It was made in Nazi-occupied France. I always find those films made during the occupation to be some of the most fascinating films just to see how French filmmakers were working under the restrictions of the German occupation. It's the story of a a mediocre painter. He ends up making a deal with the devil to gain a special hand that's going to make him into a master artist. Like any deal with the devil, things go south quickly. It's told through a framing device as we meet this man. He's coming into an inn in the mountains where he's being pursued by a dark force. And he tells the story to an inn full of travelers. And you get that sense of a campfire story. It touches on the paranoia that you were getting during the war and during occupation. I think it looks to at the consequences of compromising your morals, of compromising with the enemy. I'm surprised that it actually got past the censors and was able to be made. It has these touches of French Impressionism. We get some really fascinating shadow images. It reminds me of some of the great silent horror films. But it also has these touches of the French poetic realism as well. 
We get some moments that recall the French Commedia dell'arte. It's just a really compelling, really fun, really light, really easy to digest horror film. It's again about 70, 80 minutes. So it's a a short film and uh, really well worth checking out. You know, it's funny. You mentioned that the movie must have been really hard to get past the censors, especially since Hitler himself was a failed artist. Yep, yep exactly. <laughs> like, I mean, I have no idea if that was part of the intentionality of the movie or if that's just a very happy coincidence. I imagine it would have been hard to miss that point. It sounds like a very interesting movie, and I look forward to seeing yeah, it. Yeah, it's fun. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your second film, John? So yeah, so I saw Toby Dammit, which is Fellini's section in the anthology film Spirits of the Dead. It's very loosely inspired by Edgar Allan Poe's Never Bet the Devil Your Head. I think the more typical trope is that you make a deal with the devil. This is a bet with the devil. So I grew up outside of Boston, and before I even got into Stephen King, who is also a New Englander, before even that, I got into Edgar Allan Poe, and he... He definitely spent some time in Boston, and now that I'm living on the Upper West Side in New York, I live three blocks down from Edgar Allan Poe Street. And so it's certainly something living in the region that I've lived and being interested in horror. I always follow Edgar Allan Poe, and I'm interested in anything touching on that. This section of the anthology is loosely based off of it. Certain plot points are inspired by it. It stars Terrence Stamp. He's a self-destructive actor who is coming back to Rome to receive an award. And he just goes through his self-destructive behavior, and we see some of that, and it's some of the things you might expect from Fellini, the indulgence of Rome. It's most interesting to me as seeing a master really flexing some of his technique Mm. and expanding some of his technique. I think his exploration of the uncanny, the visual dissonance that can cause people to be creeped out and not even necessarily know why they're beginning to feel fear or beginning to be creeped out that aspect of wait did i just see that yeah and that's something he certainly plays with a lot here it's definitely interesting from that perspective i have to say i think the section of the anthology is probably more effective when viewed from that point i always enjoy depictions of self-destructive <laughs> behavior and alcoholism and addiction and all that great stuff and as much as i like seeing Terrence stamp on film i don't necessarily know that i took a whole lot away from it other than just seeing fellini who had already been a master for more than a decade at this point explore this other aspect of filmmaking i think it's probably most useful to check it out from that perspective yeah i've been curious because the channel has both the full anthology and just the fellini segment on it and so i might actually check out the full anthology to see it in its context when i watch it it sounds really fascinating so I'm going to talk about my second film. I watched Yotsuya Kaidan. It was directed by Kisuke Kinoshira from 1949. I figured that since there are maybe 300 Kinoshira films on the Criterion channel, I better start getting some of these in here. Otherwise, we'll have a year where the podcast is only talking about Kinoshira. <laughs> it's a really fascinating film. It is based on one of the most famous Japanese ghost stories of all time. It was released in two parts. I would highly recommend, if you're going to watch this, to watch both parts together. I think it's more effective that way. It's the story of a masterless samurai who married a tea house girl for love, but they're living in poverty now. And he has the chance to marry the daughter of a wealthy merchant. 
He is tempted by some criminals to murder his wife in order to free himself and gain status and wealth again. The samurai then ends up being haunted by the ghost of his dead wife. It's really fascinating to see Kenoshida take on a ghost story. I think about Mizuguchi and some of the other Japanese masters who played with ghost stories where the ghost and supernatural elements are really upfront. Kenoshida grounds the film a little bit more, and so it's got a little more a sense of reality, uh, a sense of psychological depth. I've seen some reviewers talk about him completely removing the supernatural elements from the film, but I actually think that the elements are there. They're just really, really subtle at times. Throughout the film, the murderer is is really haunted by his conscience, and so we're left wondering whether it's the ghost that is haunting him or whether it's his own guilt. But we also get these moments where the families of the murdered individuals get little spiritual and supernatural signs. It's really moving. I think it's a really fascinating take on this classic story. And the ending is incredibly haunting and incredibly moving. And I think if you're interested in Japanese cinema and interested in Japanese ghost stories, this is definitely one to check out. It's very interesting to me how popular the story is because I feel like I've seen other versions of this in my limited Japanese film watching. The idea being this fundamental conflict between a male's personal ambition and the obligations of yeah. home, the obligations of loyalty, duty to family, and them being haunted because they typically choose the path of ambition and achieving their goals at the price of the people around them and being haunted by it. Yeah, yeah. It's a gorgeous film. And I, I think you're right. I think there's something in Japanese folktales and Japanese ghost stories where this element seems to come back over and over again. There is another version of this film on the Criterion channel, Tokaido Yotsuya Kaidan. It's actually referenced as one of the precursors to modern J-horror with all of the blood and gore and practical special effects. And so I'm actually really eager to check that one out now that I've seen this one. Awesome. That's four films for you to catch on the Criterion channel that you may have missed. We've got Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Cure, Maurice Tournier's La Man du Diable, Federico Fellini's Toby Dammit, and Kisuke Kinoshida's Yotsuya Kaidan. Thank you so much for joining me for this first episode of Criterion Channel Surfing, John. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me on. And I just want to point out that you threatened to keep this episode to 30 or 40 minutes during your appearance on Criterion Now with Aaron West. And I feel like when I heard that, I thought, good luck, Josh. <laughs> good luck keeping me to 30 or 40 minutes on any one topic. Forget something as expansive as the comings and goings of the Criterion channel. And I mean, I live in New York. I'm attending the New York Film Festival. But there's no question when it comes to what it is that makes film so easy to celebrate right now. It is no question that the number one asset, the number one resource that we're also lucky to have here in the U.S. is the Criterion Channel. So the opportunity to come on and discuss it on this podcast dedicated to it is such an honor and a pleasure. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. Why don't you tell listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so if you want to hear even more of my voice, come over to Film Baby Film, and my podcast is available on Apple iTunes, and you can either get just my podcast, which is great in and of itself, but it's even better if you subscribe to the 25th Frame Media entire main feed. You get not only my show, but other great shows, Magic Lantern, Criterion Now, Criterion Channel Surfing, this show, just... Get the whole thing. It's as much ardent fan and people that are passionate about film talking about the things that they love. 
check me out there if you want to follow me on Twitter. That's also a possibility. <laughs> you can I'm at Film Baby Film there. I don't do a whole lot other than promote my show and other people's shows that I really like and criticize the current president. So if those all sound like things you'd be interested in, follow me on Twitter. Great. And I will personally vouch for Film Baby Film. Definitely check that out. It's a fantastic show. Thanks again, John. Thanks for having me. You can find Criterion Channel Surfing online at 25thframemedia.com or joshhornbeck.wordpress.com slash criterionchannelsurfing. You can also find the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook by searching for Criterion Channel Surfing. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd at Josh Hornbeck. Our logo was designed by Doug McCambridge of the Good Times Great Movies podcast. You can see more of his design work at dpmdesigns.com. If you like Criterion Channel Surfing, make sure to check out all of the other great shows on the 25th Frame, especially Criterion Now, hosted by Aaron West. Criterion Now is a fun, weekly podcast that covers the news and rumors of the Criterion Collection and some of our other favorite boutique home media labels. It's one of the few podcasts I put on as soon as there's a new episode available. Criterion Channel Surfing is a proud member of the 25th Frame, a collective of cinephiles, pop culture aficionados, and creative minds whose goal is to contextualize the content we consume in an interesting interesting, inclusive, informative, and culturally relevant way. The 25th Frame is listener-supported, so please consider donating to the network at patreon.com slash criterion now. You can also support Criterion Channel Surfing directly at patreon.com slash joshhornbeck. Next month on the Criterion Channel Surfing Podcast, my guest and I will discuss The Masters, films by some of the greatest filmmakers in the world that still haven't made their way to the Criterion Collection on DVD or Blu-ray. But first, John and I will return in a few weeks for a bonus episode in which we discuss art house horror films available on other streaming services. I hope you'll join us. Thanks for listening. The 25th Frame a listener-supported network celebrating film and culture worldwide.